Anyway, let's put these scintillating conversations aside and talk about this scintillating comic. Behold! The Sword of Power. Excalibur. Welcome to the Oh Gosh, Oh Golly, Oh Wow podcast, the podcast where we talk about the Marvel comic series Excalibur and nothing but Excalibur every week for 126 plus weeks. This week we're infected with the cyber thoughts of the cyber bodies of Cybermen as we continue with the return of sorts of Douglas Ramsey slash Warlock, now with extra techno-organicness. Excalibur number 78, Fire in the Wild, was originally published in June 1994, and the creative team is Scott Lobdell and Chris Cooper on writing, John Royal on pencils, Harry Candelario on inks, Chris Mathis on color, Pat Rousseau and John Babcock on letters, and Susan Gaffney and Bob Harris on editing. Uh, hello. I haven't really had a chance to introduce myself. I'm Ann Lewis. Do you have a name? How can I help you, Officer Lewis? It's not really what I meant. Don't you have a name? Murphy. It's you. You really don't remember me, do you? Excuse me. I have to go. Somewhere there is a crime happening. Welcome to a special episode of Gosh Golly Wow Cool Cyber Crimes Edition, or GGWCCCE for short. We've got the usual crew, plus a cool time guest who I will introduce in a moment. First, your regular programmers. I am Dr. Anna Papard. My coding is designed to talk about sex and gender in comics and pop culture, around academia and on the internet at places like ComicsXF and Sequential Scholars, where at the time of this episode dropping, we will be gearing up to start a th- series of threads on indigenous comics and wrapping up a series of threads on alias. I am also Kurt Wagner's unofficial PR manager, and in that capacity, I am lodging an entirely unofficial protest about the fact that Mr. Wagner is on the cover of this comic but didn't make it into the actual issue. This is a shameful case of false Kurt Wagner advertising, or as we call it in the biz, false Wagnertizing. Worked really hard on that joke. (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) Moving on. Going to be the highlight of my contribution today. So, Mav, tell us about your operating systems. I am so glad you asked. I've been waiting for someone to ask that question. So I started with TRS-DOS, then LDOS, and then new DOS 80. But then I moved on to TI-99-4A, TI-BASIC. From there, I went to uh, Color Basic, which was the operating system for the Tandy Color Computer, and then Apple DOS while in school. But then I got DOS on my first IBM XT, and then from there, Windows 3.1, of course. Once I went to college, I started using <laughs> IBM RTOS, and then SunOS Solaris, followed by Altrix for deck stations, and then Irix on an SGI system if I was lucky. And then I got a job where I was doing OS2 and OS2 Warp on the side. And then finally, I switched to MacOS. That was round time of MacOS System 7.8, I believe. And then I did a little bit of Wince development, Windows CE on the side once I was out of college. And then finally, they developed MacOS X. All mixed in there. I'm using occasional Linuxes, usually Red Hat, and then eventually Ubuntu. And then Windows XP drops, of course. So like everybody, I got on that. I never really went to Millennial, Millennium Edition, but I did use Windows SE on a phone. And of course, iOS and iPadOS. And now... Mac OS X I've been using mostly for the last several years. And on occasion, I have some devices that I've built around my house that run Raspbian and Armbian. So that was a really interesting question. I'm, I'm so glad you took an interest in that. I... <laughs> 
should have known that's how you would answer that question. When you were doing the list and you were like, I know it is what I asked. And when you were doing the list and you're like, and when I was done college, I was like, oh no, we're only at college. This is going to be a lot. Those are the OSs that I've used. Um, I appreciate that. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners will too. But beyond that, I, I, I read comics and I talk about them on this show and on another one called Box Popcast and where I talk about pop culture and I'm interested in issues of sex and gender and, and I've been doing a lot of podcasting lately. That's that's what I've been doing. <laughs> yeah, you and me both. I was just saying before the pod, this is my third one this week. It's like yeah. full time job. But, um... My second, but I've got but I've got two more <laughs> to go. Oh well, my God. no, actually, it seems like it's my third because one that I recorded two weeks ago, a guest spot dropped yeah. yesterday. So it's, it's very busy. Podcasting is a full time job, but I love it. Yeah, that's right. Go listen to Mav with his thoughts about more thoughts about Kurt and Amanda for the Simply Amazing pod just dropped mm. at the time of this episode recording, but will be a couple of weeks old by the time this one comes out. Did retweet that already, but I'll add to the show notes as well. And I was on Wisecrack for just something people will will from our world were like um i mean they should listen to my other show all the time but i was also on wisecrack live this morning talking about wakanda forever nice <laughs> have not seen yet but i will eventually probably after the theater run but i'll get there <laughs> um andrew please discuss your programming languages and you can take that question in whatever direction you would like no that's personal um, <laughs> I'm a lecturer at St. Jerome's University and co-project lead for sequential scholars. I'll continue the theme of me complaining about teaching and how you're like dead and you're tired and you're not going to make it through. Oh. You get to this cool point when there's two weeks left where what should be the end of the tunnel is like deep despair because you're not going to be able to talk <laughs> about comics every Monday and Wednesday for the rest of your life with the same people. So I'm in that oh. stage right now. Uh, and in two weeks time, I'll be through that and into the equally soul-crushing month of grading. Uh, <laughs> that's a real buzzkill, Andrew, because I have not been teaching this term, but I've been prepping syllabuses for next term. And like, I'm going to be back in the classroom for the first time in like three years. And oh, I was wow. really scared and I still am a little bit scared, but I'm, I've, I've been teaching online in between them, but I haven't been like live in front of people teaching in three years. Nice. I was like, is it really three years? But yeah, mm -hmm. it's been three years. And mm -hmm. so I'm nervous and I'm excited though, too, because I was kind of doing my comic syllabus. I'm teaching two comics courses. I'm teaching a course on uh, trans and non-binary characters in comics. It's going to be awesome. And then another so cool. one that's a survey of graphic fiction graphic fiction and i was like doing the graphic fiction syllabus and i was like you know gonna put some of the same old stuff on there and then i was like wait it's graphic fiction i don't necessarily have to do a unit on autobio i mean i love autobio everybody does but it's graphic fiction right? right so i was like why don't i just like teach afterlife with archie instead and like you know maybe maybe some other stuff that I think is fun and just having the realization that like oh right I can teach these things that I really love and like get people inspired about them and do my own thing and like use my two-hour lecture to <laughs> get people inspired about the things that inspire me I was like I always say that I don't love teaching as much as the two of you do but I'm pretty excited it's been a while and I'm excited so I'm on the opposite end of the spectrum right now I'm all hope and possibility but when we check in with me <laughs> five months from now i will be <laughs> in your boat i know that but hang in there andrew home stretch yeah <laughs> um after many digressions let us get to our guest so our guest requested this episode ages and ages ago and we're so happy that we finally made it here that the pod survived this long so we are thrilled to welcome jim roberts to the pod hello jim so yeah i will tell our listeners a little bit more about you jim and then we'll get to your comics origin story so jim roberts started reading comics as soon as he could read and somewhere in the multiverse might be an academic but instead he obsesses over comics online and at his local comic book store he also writes adventures for superhero rpgs and has written fanfic that he absolutely will not tell you about so jim <laughs> uh tell us about your fanfic i'm just kidding you don't have to do that but um only if you want to read <laughs> sex scenes written by a 13 year old whose entire concept of sex comes from the xanth novels <laughs> well i mean i'm intrigued I mean, but <laughs> better than some issues of this yeah. yes <laughs> 
But you could tell us about your comics origin story. And I know you want to talk about Doug um, and we're going to do that. And if you want to do that as part of your origin story, you're welcome to. But yeah, tell us about your love affair with comics. When did you first start reading them? I started reading them, like I said, pretty much as soon as I could read. They had these two great big anthologies that were like the 30s through the 70s for Batman and Superman at my local library. And I would get those out and read them obsessively. My dad would get me Disney comics and Gladstone comics, all the, the, the fun kid stuff, Comics Illustrated. And then I found superhero comics and he didn't understand why I liked them, but he was glad I was reading. So we kind of encouraged that <laughs> habit. Uh, I used to pick up these batches of comics at the local uh, flea market. It'd be like 20 comics for like two bucks. And they were terrible comics. They weren't in good shape. Um, it was just a grab bag of them. I wasn't picking up anything in continuity, but it was just this art form, this way of showing pictures and words and action was just so different from reading books. Uh, it, it, I just loved it. And then I found New Mutants Annual Number 2 which is where Doug Ramsey kind of takes the center stage uh, for that one. And I kind of read it. It was probably the first time I had read something that had an arc that started at the beginning of the comic and more or less ended by the end of it because it was an annual. And I was like, oh, this is how you do comics. You can read them one after another, and then it tells a whole long story. And at that point, I was just kind of off to the races. It, I really loved the mutants because they were weirdo freaks, and I was a nerd, and I just kind of connected with that a lot. And Doug Ramsey being the guy who's really smart, but also kind of unlikable, I connected with that a lot, too, I'll have to say, when I was a kid. So have you kept reading X-Men comics over the years, or have you taken breaks here and there? I did take a break. They killed off my boy Doug, and um, <laughs> I was in a fight with the comics at that point, so I just I stopped reading. And then actually I saw this comic on the newsstands, and I'm like, Doug didn't skip leg day, but that looks like Doug Ramsey. I'm going to pick this up. <laughs> and uh, was disappointed at the time, and kind of... Mm took a break from collecting regularly. I'd pick up stuff that had a cool-looking cover. Anything Bill Sienkiewicz was doing, I would absolutely be picking up if I could find it. Mm -hmm. But uh, then kind of actually got back into it with Annihilation, that event, uh, just because it was a bunch of characters that I didn't know, but I knew from the official handbook of the Marvel Universe Deluxe Edition and figured it would be a good chance to get to know them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one of my favorites as well. I, we did an episode about Annihilation on our old podcast, Three Panel Contrast, had a lot of fun talking about that and revisiting that at that time. But um, so you picked up Excalibur with this issue featuring Doug Locke. I mean, what draws you to this series? Have you since gone back and read the rest of it? Well, I picked it up again. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Kitty Pride. Um, okay. Chris Claremont pretty much created that character for me. So um, <laughs> when I saw comics that had her on it, I was interested. The first Excalibur comic I picked up was actually the one with the janitor on the front cover, just because it was yeah. I catching on the shelf all that black space and then this old guy i'm like that doesn't look like anything else on here mm -hmm. um went back and collected some of the back issues of it until i got to one that was a grand total of three dollars no way i was spending that much money on a comic <laughs> book um and then just sort of stopped and then a, a later on kind of picked it up a little bit i'll be honest i've never been able to get all the way through the cross time caper <gasps> can't Shocking. get quite all the way through it just get to a certain <laughs> point and i'm like yeah, yeah i think i'm done i'll i'll go do something else i should probably just pick up at that point again sometime later but i've never gotten all the way through to the end of it except by listening to the cast <laughs> well, sacrilege but fair you are under no obligation <laughs> Well, I want to talk about your affection for Doug Ramsey a little bit more. And I know you've got memories of, you know, when that happened to him in the comics. So let's do the issue summary and come back to that because we'll relate that to the return of Warlock with Doug's memories in this comic and, and get into that a little bit. We were talking off mic before the pod, like I am not really an original New Mutants reader and I also am not really i know i'm sorry i just <laughs> i just i try i've read a bunch of it but i just doesn't hook me somehow as much there's just not a character that i love enough that grounds me in it i, 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 I apologize oh, i apologize i know i i love magic i do i just don't have the same affection anyway i shouldn't <laughs> jim is here saying he didn't make it through cross time capers so i shouldn't be on the defensive <laughs> for not reading <laughs> the comic considering our podcast <laughs> Yeah. Guess, I, I, you know? I will say that the worst of New Mutants is real darn bad. It has some good stuff that in is it, true. Yes. but the, the bad issues of New Mutants are, boy, howdy, are they bad, and they go on for a couple of issues most of the time. 
So, and I yeah, think I'm going to teach Demon Bear in my comics course. So I am going to wow. be repping New Mutants in the course. So you know, I'm doing so you my part. On that. Okay. I think so. I wasn't sure on that. I because that was the one where I'm like, mm, does it work without context? I, I think so. <laughs> I think so. I mean, I so yeah. I love. The, I mean, I love the story. Listen, I mean, again, plug for another show. But I talked about it at length on on the X Wife podcast. I'm a big fan of Demon Bear. But I think prior to Prey being coming out as a movie it might have been harder but there's a bit more uh, i think of an understanding of the the idea of a female indigenous character going out kicking butt and taking names and then kind of filling in the superhero details on the back end well yeah and i mean the problem with teaching any x-men right is that you're always going to be dropping someone in in the middle of continuity so i'm just sort of looking for any stories that you know because the other thing i think i'm going to teach is life death like death. and i mean that i think works yeah, but I mean, you could say kind of say the same thing. It's like, well, if you don't see the whole lead up to like Storm becoming the leader and becoming depowered and all this stuff, you're like, wow, you're missing that context, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, still, I think it holds up as an individual issue that you can teach a lot of themes relevant to X-Men just by looking at that. And I think the same is true of Demon Bear, but mm. we will see. We will see. Different show. <laughs> it is a different show. I think we've done an episode of Vox Podcast that was about teaching X-Men comics. Yes. Yeah. So go listen to that. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> anyway, as I was saying, like, yeah, I'm I'm not a big New Mutants person, and I'm not, despite the fact that we're doing this show, a big '90s X-Men person. I flipped over to Excalibur and didn't really read the rest of the X-Men line during this time. I've, I've caught up since. I've read most of this stuff, but I'm going to be relying on the three of you today to fill in a bunch of this context, and I know you're up to the challenge. But anyway, before we do all of that, let's do this issue summary. So I know we've got lots of lovely listeners reading along with the pod. We definitely wouldn't make you and your stuffed rabbit do your business behind a tree in the deadly robot-infested woods if we could help it. And just to further prove how nice we are, here's a summary of this very explodey issue. Excalibur number 78 opens where Excalibur number 77 left off with Zero meeting a robot boy we'll learn to call Douglock. Zero tries to teach Douglock about individuality now that he's free of the Phalanx Collective. Douglock is confused but intrigued and follows Zero as they leave the cave to find their purpose in the world. Meanwhile, Britannic, Megan, and Kitty arrive in Maine. Britannic can't figure out why he was compelled to go there, but they decide to wait and see. Kitty uses the downtime to call her mom about her dad, but her mom says she hadn't, hasn't seen Cameron in months. Back on Muir Island, Moira talks to Royer, Moira talks to Rory Campbell. Back on Muir Island, Moira and Rory... Back on Muir Island. Wow. This is too many M's. One more try. It's the R sounds. I know. It's so bad. Back on Muir Island, Moira talks to Rory Campbell and they accuse each other of working too hard and needing to sleep amid their fervent quest to find a cure for the legacy virus. When Rory finally surrenders to slumber, none other than Professor X arrives to take his place at Moira's side. In Maine, we encounter a very human family on a camping trip following a lengthy conversation about pooping in the woods. The young girl, Courtney, sets out to do her business only to encounter Zero. Persuaded by the cuteness of Courtney and her and her fuzzy stuffed bunny, Zero decides not to kill her. This inspires more soul-searching between Zero and Douglock, which leads to them revisiting Doug's past and a vision of how he was originally killed. Suddenly, Strife's robots attack. To get to Zero, they threaten the family on the camping trip. Britannic et al. realize this is what they're here for and arrive just in time to stop the robots from killing everybody. Kitty is stunned and confused by Douglock. More on that later. Zero blows up most of the robots, but can only do that trick once, so he teleports all the good guys elsewhere. But the robots are prepared to continue their pursuit. Okay, so... Jim, I know you wanted to talk about this issue specifically, and I think you specifically wanted to talk about it because of Doug Locke. So yeah, let's have it. Why did you want to come to our podcast to talk about Excalibur number 78? Well, first of all, my favorite thing about this comic is it's in the middle of the Phalanx Covenant sort of ongoing event and has nothing to do with it. So Not it's really yeah. nice. <laughs> it's nice to see that Excalibur is continuing the tradition of not being associated with the actual X-Men crossovers. Mm-hmm. It, what's, it's it's pretending real hard. It's it's really it's like oh this is vital. It is not. It's like we've got robots. <laughs> Does that count? Um. So I I like that. And also we'll, we can get we'll get into it. We get into the background of uh, both Doug and and Warlock. But they essentially got written out because they weren't radical enough. They weren't cool enough. They weren't badass enough. And so this is this feels like an attempt to bring Doug Ramsey back as a stone cold badass. Mm-hmm. And it's just funny to watch because it doesn't <laughs> work. Like it it's an 
excellent example of why Doug Ramsey is fine the way he is, and the problem mm-hmm. is how you're trying to make the character something he's not. Yep. And yeah. it's just it's it's fascinating to watch because all of the problems, even with the story and the plot, come down to you're trying to write a character that you just don't want to be the character that you're writing. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, I want to get into Doug Moore as I keep saying, but I'll grab some first impressions from Andrew and Mav uh, first. Andrew, how are you feeling about this one? Uh, I think I'm on the same page as Jim. I I, I was a huge fan uh, of Doug Ramsey and Warlock, frankly, uh, and they both got thrown under the bus. And I thought Simonson laid a great thread by which they could come back as a gestalt entity and wouldn't that be really cool because simonston loves to do that by the way she loves to when she gets rid of a character leave uh, a door open somehow anyway so this as like like teen andrew yeah let's let's bring back doug and warlock this is going to be the coolest thing ever this will be an iconic story that i'll love more than anything and then you read it and you're kind of like i don't know if i want this anymore and i think part of the reason is what jim says like doug's whole thing is that he's a character who is in over his head in a superhero world um so when you take that away from him what is he he's just another generic overpowered character and and warlock's Warlock's literal superhuman power like xavier says his mutation is that he's kind yeah he's compassionate and so then you take warlock and you make him into a jerk like you give that physical form of warlock and you make him into a jerk and it's like you got both characters wrong in the exact opposite directions which it's almost impressive it really is where are you at, Mav? Exact same place. <laughs> I mean, it's a comic. Uh, my, my problems with this issue are that I don't recognize anybody. I don't recognize Doug slash Warlock. I don't recognize Brian and Megan, and they're the stars of this book. I know. Um, and and uh. and it's just I don't really recognize Moira or even Chuck. Like this is this these are people who look vaguely like characters I know, but are not them. I'm pretty sure that Kitty's parents are supposed to be in witness protection, but they're not. I don't remember the context anymore, but I feel like they skipped some steps here and Kitty just doesn't seem like Kitty even. Like, literally, I don't know who anybody is, but the most egregious is Doug slash Doug Locke because everything I love about that character is missing here. Every yeah. single thing. There's nothing of what makes Doug Ramsey great. And um, I will say Doug Ramsey has the perfect comics death. It, it's upsetting mm. because it, it it's, a, it, I mean, and it's, it is genuinely upsetting to read. Like I, I went back and did reread it, uh, read just that in order to um, this morning in order to have this conversation. And it still is heartbreaking. This is just like, it dispenses with it in one panel without the con. I mean, you get to see him shot in this comic but the context of why that's important is just completely missing and it and it just feels hollow and weak okay well let's do a little bit of background and go back to that death of doug ramsey and who doug ramsey was as a character and it's number 60 <laughs> well, yeah. well yeah. i'll come back to jim with it to, to have you talk a little bit more about what i mean you already said a couple of things about what drew you to that character but i'd love to hear a little bit more in terms of like yeah like why was this character significant with in the franchise and let's get into some of the discourse about fans wanting him dead and sort of the circumstances that led to that and stuff so yeah take it away jim if you have thoughts well one of the big things is uh, when, when he first shows up uh, it's around the time kitty is starting to get onto the x-men team uh in a more serious way starting to be a highlighted character and i forget who was who said it but uh, she's created as an object of nerd desire like that's mm-hmm. what she is mm-hmm. she's and doug's the objectifier when he first mm-hmm. shows up and that could go so bad in so many ways um and it kind of does a bit um i think we can all be very happy that doug ramsey did not have access to 4chan when he first showed up oh god because <laughs> well, you, you know what that reminds me of remember like in ultimate x-men when like that's kind of beast story like he gets into some mm-hmm. bad internet places anyway could have gone to that place which was <laughs> unpleasant mm-hmm. he does have a later storyline where he gets addicted to the internet uh, but that's a, mm-hmm. in, in a literal way because it's all information but yeah, yeah i mean he's he's a young guy he's comes from privilege his dad's a lawyer um we don't actually get his mom's profession but they're in westchester county they're kind of upper class he and kitty are friends he's a computer geek like her she actually plays a game with him which interestingly enough uh basically hacks a couple of sentinels 
and destroys them. He doesn't yeah, even know that, that he does it. So he's he, it's robots right from the jump with him. Because he's a named teenager in a, an X-Men comic book, Charles Xavier assumes that he's a mutant. Uh, that's basically the background we have for that. <laughs> um, and he tries to get him to join the Massachusetts Academy, fails. Emma Frost, right solidly in her villain phase, tries to get him to join the Hellions, neither of them knowing what his mutant powers are. And then Warlock shows up on uh, Slumber Party, uh, one of the best issues of comics, in my opinion. And when he Warlock comes out of his, his, uh, his shell, he's walking around the mansion, this weirdo techno thing. And because it's New Mutants and not X-Men, the fight with him is very brief before they realize they need somebody who can speak his language. By this point, they somehow know Doug can speak languages. Never been 100% clear on if there's background for some comic where that comes out. But he comes over, he can talk Warlock's language very quickly, and the two of them are basically inseparable from that point on. They're like... Mm -hmm. They're, they're Mutt and Jeff, the two of them. New Mutants Annual is kind of his highlight issue where he can never really contribute to the violence of the X-Men. It's just not his power. Uh, he can contribute to the diplomacy and to the social aspects of the X-Men, although he's genuinely pretty bad at the social stuff. He's a 14-year-old boy and about as good at that stuff as you'd expect him to be. Uh, <laughs> and that's more or less his character kind of goes along in that vein of just being, you know, the young guy is desperately trying to get noticed on a team of people with powers that are much cooler looking than his. He has a couple of really unfortunate little plot lines. There's one where he gets drunk at a Hellions ball and says some things that, if they were recorded, would get him cancelled in the modern era. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and there's definite implication quite early on that the techno-organic virus that Warlock has that can turn things into techno-organic entities, that that's actually infested him. And, um, well, then he gets shot. In large part because of Louis Simonson says editorial mandate. Editorial says we said that we need to do something with him and something radical. I don't, I don't think history will ever be able to tell us exactly what happened, but he got he got killed off, and then Warlock a couple of years later. I would just add to this that Doug's relationship to Warlock is a very important um, bit of queer subtext in Claremont's New Mutants yes. run. Yes, that is the that is the thing that intrigues me about it. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Yeah, go ahead. And Matt. and I would add that what makes Doug work is, I mean, you said he'd be on 4chan today. And yeah, that's, I mean, he doesn't have that. So he is just the lonely, you know, he's the incel kid, right? He's the lonely nerd mm-hmm. who really, really wants the girl, Kitty, and then it doesn't work out. So then he moves on because good for him, but he moves on to Psylocke, but let's just forget about that because um, yeah. that story yeah. just kind of goes away because it was creepier. It was so much creepier than the Kitty Peter one. It was just, and they're just like, let's, let's not. But then he moves on to Rain and it's never quite there because what makes Doug interesting is even though he knows he's got his value after after that New Mutants Annual 2, he still has such an inferiority complex. He just wants to be able to fight so bad. The thing with, you know, he's in love with Rain and she wants to protect him. He's in love with Warlock and Warlock wants to protect him. And, and he's just constantly sidelined and then the one chance he gets to do something ultimately heroic, he gets murdered for it. It just doesn't, because he has no business being in a fight there is no point in their in 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 any new unit adventure where doug physically needs to be on scene he could do it all via radio but he just he just really wants to be there and kind of importantly apologizing yeah Mm -hmm. and importantly he gets shot by a 90 year old man in a loincloth wielding a mauser it's a miserable death like it's just Mm -hmm. it's such a it's such a minor death Mm -hmm. relatively speaking but it works yeah oh absolutely that's what makes it work yeah because because the point the point of the entire thing is he just he has no business being there and he just like so he does go out a hero he manages to save rain's life you know yay but like probably (laughs) she would have been fine like i I mean it's it's sort of like he he's trying to save rain's life from the 90 year old man who ends up shooting doug on accident when he's trying to shoot rain and then none of his friends even notice he's been murdered for like another half an hour it's (laughs) so heartbreaking it's i mean it's and it's i mean well they're they're busy in, in the middle of a fight they're fighting a bunch of monsters so like i get it but they basically said okay doug go hide go hide behind the rock so we can fight and then he decides not to hide and that's what would happen you know he he is for all intents and purposes a human boy you know in the middle of this fight between monsters and mutants and he he just can't 
cannot really contribute and he tries and and it, and it ultimately gets him killed and it's such a it's a cautionary tale because it just sort of speaks to what he is even you know with for all of his gifts he just wants to be a part of the cool kids and 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 he could never accept that you know he had value in what he in what he actually was in terms of it being a cautionary tale like are you saying that you think it's a cautionary tale like towards doug like because of the ambition that he had to be a certain kind of hero that he can't be it's sort of like a comeuppance for him or is it a lesson to the readers like thinking that this kind of character could exist in this space more to the readers but more just sort of exist i i don't think i don't think it's saying that it's bad that the character can't exist i think it says the character had value. He had value, and the flaw is in that he is in not being able to recognize Doug's value and in wanting someone whose power is that he is nice and that he is smart and wanting to say, no, but none of that matters. Can he punch people? Like, that was the the, the reason readers were complaining because a lot of readers didn't like him. A lot of readers didn't like him because he didn't have a magic sword and he didn't have, you know, he couldn't turn into a wolf. He couldn't fly, you know, so people were like, oh, he's useless. They would write in letters about how useless he was. And <laughs> this is literally saying, fine, you wanted to be, you want him to go punch somebody? Here's what happens when Doug punches somebody. And, you know, he suffers for it. But I, but I think he represents this desire to, and it's, we're hitting in the 90s excess thing, right? He represents this desire to not appreciate anything other than spectacle. Yeah, I've just always been unsure about that story. Like, I mean, because I think it's one of those stories that can read multiple ways, which, you know, makes it interesting. But just Mm -hmm. in terms of it being (laughs) like a productive story or just like a mean story, I guess I've always Mm -hmm. been kind of undecided about it. And you're kind of bringing up both possibilities. I mean, you know, is it it being like, you know, this kind of this kind of man especially this kind of boy like can't exist in this space and like we have to brutally kill him to get that message across or is it sort of proving something to the readers about about you know their desires you know i don't think it's brutal at least i don't read i mean i'm curious about what what, uh what jim and andrew think i don't find it brutal okay he dies pathetically yeah it's sad it is Mm. sad and heartbreaking because he he literally it doesn't need to happen like if he just stayed behind the rock, everything would have been okay. Probably Rain, like even if she had been shot, I I don't think Rain's gonna be taken in, in werewolf girl form is going to be taken out by a single bullet from like a low caliber forty five, you know, pistol. Just feels like he just got in the way by trying to help when they told him not to. And that's and it's sad. Like I don't think it feels I don't think it feels yeah. brutal at all. I think it feels heartbreaking, at least to me. Yeah, I guess I just was I wondering whether a... it's like whether we whether we read it as sort of like subverting the idea that he can't exist in this space or confirming the idea he can't exist in this space. Does that make sense? I think I get the impression from reading it now, like kind of in the perspective of time and hearing Simonson talk about it, hearing editorial people talk about it. it it's almost like they're like, OK, this is what you want. You want this guy out of the way because he doesn't belong here. Let us show you what that looks like if we do the thing that you want us to do. And then he gets taken out cruelly kind of offhandedly and they're like is this what you want and the audience said yes like um, there were a so lot dark. of people who were like thank you for getting rid of this guy i mean it's yeah it's death, it's death in the family over on dc all over again mm-hmm. it's this character isn't driven enough and isn't dark enough we want we want more intensity and i don't think it's coincidental that it's after his death that you really see the hyper masculinity and the stepping back of there being audience identification characters and more of those hyper masculine like audience idol characters like someday i hope to have the pecs of cable as impossible as they are well and that makes me think of zero in this issue or you know the ultimate 90s character like no face like no nipples no penis (laughs) just like the outline of the shape of a man with vague emotions like and lots of killy power interestingly he's a cypher so Go ahead, Andrew. I think for me, the the death of Doug, the comparisons that were already made to uh, the death of Robin, I would compare him to the death of Thunderbird as well. Mm. I think it was a situation where there was a trade-off 
the idea being Doug's not really useful, but his death would be very useful in terms of establishing mm. vulnerability in this comics universe that had been going on for a while and maybe might not have a sense of that. Like it also creates some really good tension between the X-Men and the New Mutants, between Magneto and the New Mutants, where everybody's blaming themselves or blaming others for Doug's death. Uh, and it creates, we haven't mentioned it, but one of the other best New Mutants issues uh, is I believe two issues after Doug's death where Warlock has to reconcile what death is because he literally doesn't understand and drags Doug's him. corpse in front of his parents. Ugh. It's yeah. it's dark. But it's but it's what it it's it's what it needs to be because Doug's death breaks the team irreparably after this. They're no it's no longer so issue sixty has one one of my favorite moments in it, which was it's where Ilyana gets her baseball bat because she realizes she can't use the soul sword, it's making things worse. So she she makes this grown up decision to use a baseball bat as her primary weapon. And I thought that was going to be the cool thing in the issue. And then like a few pages later, Doug is dead. And then the the rest of this arc from you know from here on out, they stop listening to Magneto. They're not in school they they the x-men are dead because it's fall of the mutants or at least they think the x-men are dead so they're so they yeah. say well we're what the world has now and we're going to be grown-ups now and they get they they change their costumes they are on their own and they're constantly just like up until the cable time when most of the team is different right like so rain never gives gets over um doug's death um until the cable time when richter shows up warlock absolutely never gets over doug's death until his own death it is constantly sam and 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 danny trying to like protect the team because they're afraid of failure it, it becomes a much more grown-up book and basically it's what leads it to being X, X-Force, which is, you know, the 90s kids getting what they wanted. But I, I think it tries. I think this is it, them trying to be something serious and interesting. Well, can I ask you, revisiting Jim, you know, you said you dropped the book with Doug getting killed. So, I mean, how did you feel about it at the time? Like, how did it affect you? Was it something that blindsided you? It, it didn't blindside me exactly. Like, it, you could see what was going on. Uh, I was already starting to drop some titles because I was just like, this is this is just all action all the time. I, I believe I was collecting Spider-Man around that time and things were just getting like, oh, there's a new person. I shall punch them. And pretty much that was how every issue was going. And... and <laughs> It was definitely getting to the, I was getting the sense that something was happening. I was young. I, I had no real means by which to know what was going on. But I'm like, something unpleasant is happening here and my characters are changing. And then when they killed off Cypher that way, it did feel like uh, he was discarded, like just kind of tossed mm-hmm. in the trash bin. And I'm like, okay, he was the, he was part of the reason I was reading this title. If you're going to treat him like that, he was my audience identification character. Yeah. So if you kill off my audience identification character, I guess you're telling me I should stop reading. So I did. That was pretty much it at that point. And I, there were other things going on at that time you know i don't want to say i had a busy life i think it was 10 but um... <laughs> hey i was pretty busy at 10 or at least i thought i was you know like the I, calvin I'm and Hobbes to... thing of the days are just packed exactly so I, I there were other there was other stuff to do i did i had just gotten a nintendo right around that time so you know <laughs> i wasn't wanting for choices so i was just like i'm gonna go and do something that doesn't make me feel sad yeah see you said nintendo yeah. see I, I i was actually picturing both you and anna it's like oh yeah I was 10, you know, and just you're sitting there chewing on a cigar with a with a gin. (laughs) Just going, going, oh, it's so so rough being 10 years old. (laughs) Where were you when Doug died? I remember where I was. Oh my god. I don't know. I'll never forget that moment. <laughs> oh my god. That identification character stuff is like so is so tough. I mean, it kind of gets back to that thing of me not reading a bunch of other X-Men comics during certain eras and like, I'm so embarrassed to like admit this in a way, but it's like Nightcrawler's my guy, right? So when it's X-Men comics where he's not there, I have a hard time in my head being like, if I existed in a world in which Nightcrawler was real, all the time I'd be like, where's Nightcrawler? He should be here. He's a friend of ours. Let's like have him over. How can you possibly exist and not have him over all the time? It's baffling. How can you continue after he's dead? It's baffling. And I know that that's an insane thing to say, but that's just like <laughs> where my brain goes because I'm just like, well, I don't know. Like, it's like the Poochie thing of like all, all the characters should be, be saying where's 
I know, I know. Everybody feels that way about their faves. Our faves like never get enough shine, even though objectively sometimes they do. But, but to be fair, for this issue, the cover artist agrees with you because yeah. it's you know it's Doug standing there with Kitty, his best friend, looking on and mm-hmm. on, and then Nightcrawler standing there going, "Who the hell is this guy?" <laughs> I know why. I don't is think they ever actually it? met ever. Then maybe I once think they've met, but they they I don't know that. I have no recollection of a conversation between the two of them. Andrew, maybe you do, but they, they've certainly yeah. met because they're certainly living at the mansion at the same time. Like there are like maybe they meet during the first X-Baby story because because the, the new mutants have to take the, the original X-Babies are the actual X-Men and they get de-aged and the new mutants have to take care of them. And Kurt and Doug are both there, so they might speak to each other. Maybe. I, I can't but think of a panel in which they do, though. Neither could I. Not, not, I have no direct recollection. I'm just going, you know, you were living in the same house. You must have spoken, if only to say, hey, can I can I get the bathroom or something? You know, yeah. <laughs> whose milk is this? There's got to be something. <laughs> oh God, okay. <laughs> well, let's let's talk a little bit about Doug Lock specifically here and the reveal of him as Doug Lock in this issue. And yeah. I'll come to you again <laughs> for it first, Jim, because you said some thoughts about it already. But yeah, let's talk a little bit more specifically about this introduction and how this comic is setting it up like what are the conflicts we're being given for this character here and are any of them interesting i i think they could have been as they're presented like the the way he he starts out is just kind of as a, a tabula rasa character the the phalanx as they've been introduced in the comics in the events so far are basically like techno organic life that has been given the imprint of someone's personality uh the book's torn on whether or not that happens voluntarily or whether they conceal it whichever has happened it makes sense that there'd be this techno organic entity that has kind of a little bit of dugness to it to be utilitarian for them his power of being able to translate things and being able to process a lot of data very quickly makes total sense for a group of techno-organic beings that are trying to take over the world. Of the dead X characters there are that we know of, he's your guy. And in some of the other comics, they actually the phalanx talks about where's Doug we need Doug to do this and that, that makes sense that tracks with the character and him having this sort of you know emotionlessness tracks with how they present the phalanx elsewhere the problem for me comes with first of all he's supposed to be sort of warlock and he doesn't have any of the softness or sensitivity or goofiness of that character there's a, a, a page where he destroys a robot, one of the uh, Strife's drones, and I just keep looking at that and thinking, Warlock would have found a way to make that look like it was fun. Like, mm. he, that was just what he always was. It's like, even when he was destroying robots, there was a sense that he was going, wee! As he did it. Like, just enjoying the, the act of the thing that he was doing. And there just, there was, there's no joy to the character even after he gets Doug's memories back. And the humanity he gets back doesn't really match Doug's either. That sort of impact Passiveness. Yeah. Doug was not an impassive character. He was kind of, uh, if anything, he was you know a little bit arrogant and hot-headed. Mm-hmm. Question for, I mean, do you guys? And we have no way of knowing, by the way. So for the listener, listener we're, we're going to be speculating here. Do you think he was supposed to be Warlock? Because I don't think he was. I think he was supposed to be Doug. And I'm very confused by it. it. Yeah. <laughs> like, I think that later they were like, okay, well, maybe it was Warlock all along. But like in this book, I think that they think they're writing a much more interesting Doug Ramsey. Because it doesn't say, oh, yeah. but it's actually. And the way that they died. You know, so I guess we should have said that. Doug died when he was shot. Warlock dies a couple of years later. And they sprinkle Doug, Warlock's ashes on Doug's on Doug's grave, and that's like their way of saying this is what they would have wanted. They can be together in the afterlife, Aww. and then it's implied that wait, maybe the ashes because yeah. we we A knew of um, hope. Yeah, yeah. We knew that Doug had gotten infected with the techno-organic virus. He didn't know. Nobody else knew. But we knew that years before. And then nothing ever comes of it because he dies. So then that. So when they sprinkle Warlock's ashes on his grave two years later, it's like, wait a minute, is something going to happen here? Because there's, you know, will the will they be able to reactivate once they're linked together? And then we get that here. I guess, <laughs> but like like Andrew said, it's like oh maybe I didn't want this after all. It's kind of it's kind of where you end up with. But I but I I think it's supposed to be just Doug. I think we're supposed to be reading this going oh Doug is back and he's a badass now, which is not yeah, this I is want, this I is Kung Fu Grip Doug. 
absolutely. Like, yeah, this is. Yeah, that's that's what I think it's supposed to be. Yeah, this is this is extreme action, Doug. And uh, to your point, what you said earlier about the letters column saying that you know Doug's useless. A lot of those focus on the fact that when he joins up with Warlock, it's cool. We mm-hmm. like it when yeah. you know he's piloting Warlock like a mech, or when he does the Gestalt thing, he's interesting. Why can't you just have them be the same thing at the same time? There were quite a few letters in the in the old letters columns. I, I went back through and looked that that said that exact same thing. So again, it, Doug's death being is this what you want? They're bringing back Doug the same way. Is this what you wanted? Oh, yeah, for I mean, those for, it is what they wanted. Point, Go ahead. Re- regarding Mav's point, I do think that to me the, the setup at the end of the extinction agenda with the glint of hope and all the promise of them merging to me that that really was kind of a fait accompli to the point where when you see doug Locke show up in this comic you just assume it's the follow-through on that so for me this read very much as this is warlock and doug at the same time i mean I really want to find it interesting. I mean, I do really find the queer aspects of the Doug and Warlock merging very interesting in all of the issues that I've read of that. And again, I'm saying I'm not a Media Mutants person, but I've read a bunch of it. And of course, I've read a bunch of the current comics too. And uh, it's just when you have them in the same body, you don't have that exciting sort of tension of them splitting and merging, which is what evokes a type of sexual intimacy. I don't want to reduce it to sex because I think think it's queerer than that and i don't want to just be like oh they're they're screwing or whatever because i think it's more complicated than that because it's more of a like a queer a queer merging and all of that stuff and it's very difficult to handle that because i do want to emphasize the sexual charge of that without reducing it to simple sex if that makes any sense but like when i just have them merged here and there's no interaction between them that intrigue is really lost for me i'm like oh i'm so excited that they're merged but it's just not interesting to me at all I think I can touch on that a little bit because in the previous iterations, all the times they merge in the new mutants, they are distinct beings. It's not just mm-hmm, the merging mm-hmm. of bodies. They merge, so they can merge a couple ways. Warlock can become armor that Doug wears, or you know, you know, Iron Man style, or they have merged on what appears to be a molecular level to where they end up looking like what Doug Lock looks like. They they did that several times, and it's implied that this is an the intimacy is not just queer subtext that you're reading into it. 20 something years later no, it's the- it's there they say that they um and yeah. in fact it's he asks um, will it's it explicitly, hurt yeah and it's and very it's explicitly sexy. them doing that and also they start doing it in non-combat times like it's implied that they're just kind of into it either as an addiction on both sides both for warlock and for doug or it's something they do to be comforted when one of them's scared or just because they want to be close to each other so there is a intimacy which implies the voluntary of I want to merge with you because we are distinct thinking beings that want to be together, even if you want to take the sex out of it, you know, just like I feel like spending time with my best friend if you want to make it like completely non-queer which it isn't, but if you want to do that, like if there's still an intentionality to it and it's just gone here. It's gone because now yeah. it's just like, no, we're, we're just one person now and a person who's uninteresting and without personality by design. Yeah, I mean, that's guess that's where I'm at with it. I mean, when I think about the exciting intimacy of you know we brought up that new mutants wild ways annual and i mean the context of the merging there is just like intensely queer and intensely intimate mm-hmm. and then here it's like i look at this image of doug Locke, and it's very similar to what i just said about zero you know he's just like this shape of a very generic man and there's none of that kind of disruptive merging of like which parts are doug and which parts are warlock and like how are they merging is he wearing them like is he inside of him like what's happening and it's those intriguing possibilities that again are very queer but not reducible to like you know a simple idea of sex which is what makes it queer i just i would love for any of that to be here i don't think it's gonna really be here for any of the warlock the Douglock stories rather and oh, that frustrates me because that is the central thing that interests me about both of those characters yeah and the, the polarities of the two were what were always sort of interesting because mm-hmm. doug was the one who was sort of a little bit dispassionate and rational yeah. and warlock was the one who was friendly and emotional which is the opposite of what you'd expect you know just kind of on, right. the, on the face of it you know you've got the robot who's he he wasn't a 
data type at all. He was a very emotional creature. He felt deeply and in a lot of ways and, and, and in irrational ways. Uh, him going up against Mr. Impossible, one of my favorite issues of comics, just because it's goofy and it's Warlock just having fun. Like, he just likes to enjoy himself. And there's none of that here because they take away the polarities and all you're left with is the middle. Mm-hmm. Like, you take away those extremes and you're just, he's average and it's like, that's, that's not interesting. He's not even visually interesting. He changes shape a little bit. He gets a little tiny bit spiky at times, but he doesn't have that sort of crazy flow that, you know, you can see from Rob Reese or uh, Sienkiewicz. Because he can't look like a Sienkiewicz artwork. To go for the abstractness that is what Sienkiewicz did to make the New Mutants great, even once Sienkiewicz leaves the book, even under, you know, all the other people who aren't exactly trying to be Sienkiewicz, like I don't want to say that that's what's going on, but all the later artists, they're not mimicking Sienkiewicz. They're doing something different. And this isn't that. This is just making him like, can I make this as much of a Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld character as possible? And Rob Liefeld didn't even do that with Warlock. Like, yeah, just, just to maybe add to Jim's comment on polarity, I, I think it's also important in terms of their characteristics because because Mav talked about the importance of Doug as having this excess of bravery and very little capability. Warlock is overpowered, but a coward. Uh, and I think that again creates this idea of these sort of yin and yang very distinctive beings who become something kind of awesome when they do come together and here they're just together from the outset you don't get that sense of duality and therefore it doesn't have the same depth of meaning oh i'm so worried about us having to discuss doug log for the whole rest of this book given our feelings about (laughs) it i'm just like you know because i mean even despite the fact that i already said a million times that i'm not a big new mutants person like despite that i do ship those characters like quite a bit in terms of like all of the reasons that everybody already said like it's such an intriguing sort of coupling for all the reasons people talked about like both emotionally and physically and metaphorically and symbolically and visually and like yeah it's just it's painful to have that here and yet be distanced from it but you know if I'm going to be charitable maybe that's the effect that it's supposed to evoke because this isn't Doug it's not Warlock you know Mm -hmm. we're frustrated by that and we have to accept that he's this new person because that is what they try to tell us in this ongoing story I'm not convinced but yeah well no i actually i actually am i mean not for the reason they want me to be mm-hmm. i mean i'm a completionist so at, at this point i'm not enjoying excalibur it will get better but at this point originally i just i wasn't enjoying myself but i had been reading this for 70 something issues and i'm just I'm, i guess i gotta just keep going as long as this train goes so that's that's just who i am i eventually like was able to get through that by just not expecting doug lock to act like doug or warlock yeah, and then, yeah. and he just became a random character in the book that i don't care about my flaws with him overall become at least in this part and he and i will say it does get better there are more interesting things that are done it, with him it does later. yeah um but right here my problem with him isn't just that he's not doug and it's not just that he's not warlock it's that what he is mm-hmm. is boring and mm-hmm. uh, and uninteresting <laughs> and to to make it clear because we haven't talked about it i feel the exact same way about megan and brian in this particular issue. Oh, yeah. yeah like and and between doug lock brian and i'm sorry britannic yep and mm-hmm. and, and <laughs> megan i cannot tell the difference between the three of them nor do i even care to like they like their characterization is exactly the same look we are badasses now that's all there is to them and i do not care i think like jim sort of brought that up earlier that you know we don't have our excalibur like i mean none of excalibur is here no i think it was you actually Matt, because you were talking about characterization it's just like kitty is off and like uh, moira and xavier aren't really part of the excalibur team you know the traditional team and then everybody else it's like brian and megan are not themselves zero is really the main character and then doug Locke, and it's like what am i reading is this an issue of excalibur like no one is here I, I do think there might have been an effort put in, and if I were to try and fix this a bit, to have kind of the representation of Doug Locke as the more extreme version of Doug, and then Zero as sort of a type of warlock. But he comes across, he doesn't he doesn't have the joy, he doesn't have the, the friendliness and the outgoingness. He needs to learn to not kill small children. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So, which is a lesson that Warlock had pretty much from the jump. So I, I think there was, I think there was a space where the story could have been a bit bolder and a bit braver in the character choices. And it might've been something. And I do agree, Matt, that eventually Doug Lock does get around to being a, a more compelling character. And, I, and even in the next story, I do think that it, it starts, you start to see some seeds of that as you see that he's sort of like, you know, I, I have an identity. I have a self. I don't know what it is yet, but it's not going to be what you make it be. It's going to be what I find. And that's a, that's an interesting plot line. I, I don't know why we didn't start there. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, I mean, we're still in this messy kind of period. I mean, again, once we have some more consistency on the book, we'll get some of these storylines picked up a little bit more consistently. But uh, I wanted to ask you, Jim, because I knew you had thoughts about kind of the depiction of robots or <laughs> whatever we want to call them here. I feel like it's like, are they are they androids or robots or something else or and i'm losing track of what we're actually doing androids. here yeah they're aliens i think of them as aliens and aliens too yeah so. aliens is probably the best description i mean that that is what warlock is he's from a planet yeah. of them i i refer to it as the datification of the android where like mm. around this time period androids have to want to be human yes uh and yes. it's that's just boring like i i like an android who like i like an android or a techno-organic creature or whatever that just kind of wants to be it and that was the interesting part with Warlock was he's just this guy and he's hanging out mm-hmm. and he's weird as heck and sometimes he can look like a person but he's got one techno-organic eye or something but he's just very happy being him. He never had a sense of I need to have find a better self a self that's more like these humans and I, I, I found that I find those characters a lot more interesting and more compelling. In here we have Zero there was actually a bit it's it's in the pooping scene uh, what was that um and it just shows how they see the character it starts off great you've got zero kind of looming in the foreground and little courtney in the in uh or looming in the background and courtney in the foreground and the the caption is awe gives way to curiosity about a creature so wondrous and rare which it turns out is exactly what courtney was feeling too oh yeah which that's the best writing in this book absolutely and if it's stopped it would be great but they don't <laughs> no not at all. because then it's while zero may never fully grasp what it is that makes a being like this so special somewhere in his circuits and logic pathways a dawning consciousness recognizes that for all the destructive power at his command he's holding something far greater than himself mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's yeah. just like too much when the writer of your comic is telling you that you don't matter as a character yeah like why are you telling me i shouldn't be reading about this person okay make courtney the more important character in the comic if you don't like them make her the lead (laughs) yeah no i mean just you're you're preaching to the choir with that with that data stuff i feel like i've even mentioned it on the podcast before that i have serious issues with kind of i mean that was always the plot of data in tng but they really go harder on it like after say season three like he really like they go so hard on his quest to be human and i date is my favorite tng character so that really really frustrates me there's an alternate history of tng in my head where he fights back against that and is mad at everybody for trying to make him human when he shouldn't have to be but you know that's that's the dream data in my mind that is not what we get in the show he, he gets some good dunks on pulaski on that subject but yeah yeah, that that's sort of that's sort of it it's like the it's not an exploration of artificial life forms which is interesting and ultimately a lot of superhero comics kind of rely on sci-fi tropes and that's part of science fiction is exploring what does artificial life mean i mean what asimov did pretty much his entire life and this isn't an exploration of anything or at least it doesn't feel like one uh, or it feels like it might be the beginning of one interrupted by explosions well because it's like what are other characters supposed to be doing for us rhetorically in the story like are are they supposed to be enhancing our sense of self or are they supposed to be challenging the boundaries of our sense of self and if like the alien and robot characters just want to be human and just say outright humans are more valuable than us then it's not really challenging our preconceptions of anything so much as making us feel great and the center of the universe which i feel like is not the cognitive estrangement that i expect from from good science fiction i mean i don't want to say good and bad but you know more more no, productive science and fiction. Yes. <laughs> and, I, in particular, I, I'll say good and bad. <laughs> and having read Executioner's Song, where Strife several times refers to uh, Zero as a slave, mm. it comes across a little extra awkward Ooh. when you have the character uh, pick up the little blonde girl and talk about how she's more important than him. That, not, 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 not a great look. I don't think any of that's intentional. It's just sort mm. of they're following the zeitgeist, and it's more about getting to the next panel. To Mav's point, it's 
not that Zero's flat or that um, Doug Lock's flat. They, they kind of all are. Like we've, we, mm-hmm. Speaking of outsider characters, I mean, we've got Brian, the superhero scientist, and Megan, the ultimate outsider, and neither of them even really comment about it. It's just Brian's Britain senses are tingling, and so they're off to Maine. Well, yeah, all the all the dialogue from Brian and Megan is just expository. Like they've got zero personality. It's tough to read. There's actually one attempt to give Brian an epic quip, and it made me laugh so hard unintentionally. The guy <laughs> says, "Oh my god!" And then mm-hmm. Brian, entering the scene, screams, "Though my righteous wrath thunders down from on high, I am not your deity." Oh my god! I hated that. Cause it was one of those ones where it's like, okay, I know, like time doesn't make any sense in comics, but like when it's a fast action scene of him bursting into the scene to give him that quantity of ponderous dialogue, it was just <laughs> really disorienting. I was like, you had enough time to say all of that while you were like zooming in here at like Mach one. Okay, you know, whatever, whatever. <laughs> it strained the bounds of credulity. I, I do believe Brian said that completely sincerely, though. Mm-hmm. Like that was oh, him yeah. actually going, oh, 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 I'm not God, by the way. Just I know I'm British. So I understand the confusion. Oh, my God. Okay. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to pick up some of these. Well, obviously, we're going to pick up all of these conversations as we continue the Doug Luck Chronicles in, in the next few issues. And I want to talk more about sort of uh, the context of cyberpunk in the 90s and everything when we when we revisit it. But uh, let's go to some final thoughts. Give us each a chance to highlight something that we didn't get a chance to talk about. And it can be that if you want to, but I'll go around the table and get a table. Like there's a table. We're like all virtually here. I mean, there's there's no table. I mean, I'm sorry to spoil the illusion. It's like the Marvel bullpen it never really existed you only think we're in the same space because we're so pleasant to each other and we're so (laughs) anyway whatever um sorry to shatter that illusion anyway i'm getting very distracted um final thoughts i'll start with you mav anything that you want to talk about that we didn't get a chance um xavier's in this book he sure is there's nothing i have i have nothing to say about it because neither does the book he's just i guess him and moyer are a couple i mean i I know because i've read what happens but like you read this and chuck shows up and he's like hey i'm gonna be part of the cast now forever and ever until we cure the legacy virus you want to go have sex i assume that's what happened i mean like there's no it doesn't really even give you that much he just shows up and he's like i'm here now gonna be here he's so wooden that like i assumed like i mean i know this isn't true because i know what happens but like he's so wooden that like you assume he's like not him like he's a shapeshifter this is an illusion or something because it seems so off nope (laughs) but no it's just it's just him being wooden that's uh this is an x book now so um Mm -hmm. hi (laughs) i'm here (laughs) that that, that's what we get it's just that one page and it's weird it's a weird choice also rory's in this book but i'm done now (laughs) (laughs) oh god like rory does improve again like many things improve in this series um when we're gonna get our next regular writer who we'll talk about when we talk about it but yeah like every time i see rory at this point i'm just like oh god this like smoldery unshaven guy who's ahab i just i just don't even want to see him at all why is he here i kind of wonder in all seriousness i said i was done but in all seriousness i think what might have happened was labdell got screwed labdell had what he thought was an interesting storyline for ray and rory planned it's not what i wanted but like i think that's what he was building towards he had something going on and then editorial decided okay we're taking ray off the board so we can do adventures of of cyclops and phoenix so we're so ray's gone sorry and labdell just got screwed on the deal like i think that's what happened i think think he was just (laughs) like oh but i have this character now and he he's here i guess we can discover that he's ahab eventually but why who cares ray doesn't exist i know i know so it's like not that i care that much because i don't like the rest of the storylines that that labdell does in this book but like i think that he was trying to do something and it just got taken away from him by powers outside of his control and you know i feel a little bad for that i don't feel bad because i'd rather him just be here being disposable and annoying than have yeah so like i'll take it i'll take it it would have been a bad story no it would have been a bad story i just feel bad for any writer where editorial takes away your vision it's just that you know on the other hand it was clearly a bad vision yeah. like but i don't think that's why they i don't think they took no, it away because it was no, bad exactly. i think they took it away because because of stuff that they wanted to yeah. do in in x 
in X-Men. No, exactly. I take your point. Um, Andrew, final thoughts from you. Stuff you wanted to talk about that we didn't get a chance. Someone's got to talk about this toilet paper scene. That's going to be mine if it's not yours. It's not going to be mine. Um, all I wanted to say was that I think one of the problems in this story for me is the um, sort of imbalance of the character dynamics. Because for me, Zero is the most intriguing and interesting character in an arc designed to set up everyone but Zero. Mm-hmm. And that causes a lot of issues because I'd rather learn more about Zero. Yeah, I mean, I'd rather this just be a mini series about Zero than for him to be taking all the space away from the characters that should be starring in Excalibur when I know Zero is not going to be sticking around. Zero and Courtney? Yes, and Courtney. And Zero and Courtney. <laughs> okay, okay. So, like, <laughs> this toilet paper scene, like, it's just, it's really weird. It's like, even the style of it, it's like, you flip the page and then suddenly it really does look like an ad or it looks like a Care Bears comic and the level of cuteness. There's just something very off about it. And then there's a number of things like the mother is styled very similarly to Rachel when she and Megan went on that camping trip. And then the kid is blonde and called Courtney. So it kind of seems to me like this should be some multiversal thing or something, but it's not. It's just this thing about going to the bathroom. And it's a whole page of conversation about going to the bathroom why is this an entire page it really seems like it's setting up one of those like hostess fruit pie ads only it's going to be about charmin toilet paper or whatever it's just real weird real weird because it's like this whole story about it it's like well i can't go without my rabbit oh don't worry the rabbit can go with you we've got the toilet paper you go over here i'm like this is way too much time spent on this dynamic i mean i know we said earlier in the pod when we had like the scene of kitty peeing but maybe not peeing or maybe peeing on the barge when during inferno ask ever that was that was interesting (laughs) and funny and great but like this is just too much time spent on a not interesting bathroom dynamic and it's strange just strange it's going to be the thing that i remember most from this comic i i had a read on that uh, oddly enough claremont had has a thing where if you have a named character and they're not a main person then they're gonna die so we get courtney's name and we get davy's name the little kid and i think what they're supposed to be trying to set up is a sense of menace to when the the droids attack so it's like oh my gosh we know who these people are we have a connection to them or at least their bathroom habits it's not good but it was like i think it was supposed to be a clumsy attempt at a claremonting yes i think i think you're probably right it's just one of those ones that it feels like it's written you know what it feels like zero wrote this comic and is trying to like imitate what human (laughs) behavior might be like and this is what he came up with anyway um jim coming to you for your final thoughts about this issue any thoughts about this one that you would like to share with us to wrap up our discussion today two scientists talking about epidemiology in the face of a fatal disease being hard and they want to go to sleep instead hits differently post-covid um Mm. very definitely (laughs) that it it, that was kind of a moment there like the dialogue there seemed to kind of revolve around like oh this is tough why are we doing it while they're all smiling the art didn't seem to match up those were a couple of weird pages and also headcanon the mom is mystique because if you look in the first panel and for the rest of the next issue she's blonde haired and has a purple shirt. I knew there was something off about her. I mean, I clocked yep. her as Rachel, but maybe she was Mystique all along. Yeah, she's looking for another excuse to yeet Nightcrawler off of a waterfall, and she's not going to do it until he shows up. So, <laughs> <laughs> Hanging around till then. <laughs> it was short, and uh, there were parts of it, like I, I have the whole run up until 82 now, and it's like, okay, mm-hmm. this, this gets to an interesting place. It's just a little bit of a, uh, it's a misstep out of the gate, and it never gets to a place where it's satisfactory, mm-hmm. but I I just I just wish they'd I wish there'd been more time. I know that they wanted to put out a good comic and I'm sure that there was an idea for a good comic in here and y'all have come up with a better one. But I I just wish they'd had more time to put out the story they wanted rather than this. Yeah, once again we find ourselves bemoaning the hectic pace of monthly publishing as I'm putting together summaries and stuff, like noting that there aren't any gaps. It does come out month after month, which is so different from modern comics in which we often skip several months if we're just if an artist is delayed or like shipping delays or we can't get enough paper to print it on those days were different it just had to come out every single month and it did to its credit i dunked on on cooper's dialogue to be fair he has written at least one more published comic than i have (laughs) and i've and i've sung his contrib has sung his praises in terms of his other contributions to marvel comics so he's gotten a a fair share of credit on this pod already well were you on earth in the late 90s 
Of course not. He wants to visit the 90s. Frosted tips, dial-up, creed. All right, I think we will wrap things up there. Other than to say, Jim, thank you so dearly for joining us. We are so happy we could finally make this episode happen with you. Before we go, though, we need to remind our lovely listeners of where they can find you if you would like to be found. If you've got social media handles or work or projects or anything else you would like to promote, the time is now. I'm at Midra Jim on Twitter. Uh, M-E-A-D-R-A Jim I tell mostly dad jokes and talk about comic books which <laughs> if you need that you can also just find me at your random comic book store that's about <laughs> it you can random just find you touring around like the Johnny Appleseed of comic book stores you wait in any comic book store long enough there will be a 45 year old guy with a neck beard who will come in telling bad jokes <laughs> and talking about comic books and that's you that's yeah, true. it's, that's it's true. me <laughs> spiritually at the very least Oh, <laughs> well, I'll look out for you. Anyway, yeah, thank you so much again, Jim. Next, the Douglock Chronicles continue in new shapes in Excalibur number 79, Twisted Logic, featuring even more Cybermen doing cyber stuff, plus Forge and Valerie Cooper are there. In the meantime, if you liked what you heard, please follow us, like, and review the podcast wherever you're listening to it or watching it. Don't forget to check out our fabulous YouTube videos, which we've done for many of our earlier episodes, which you can find via our website or the Vox Podcast YouTube channel. As always, if you you want to chat with us about Excalibur or pitch yourself as a guest for a future episode, let us know. You can reach out via our website, goshgollywow.com, where we've got some fun extras, and via Twitter at goshgollywow, where we post daily pages from whatever issue we're reading that week and more fun extras. Thank you, Andrew and Mav, for another cybertastic program. Thank you, Jim, for helping us crack the code. Thank you all for listening, and a special thanks to Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our truly epic theme song. Play us out. I didn't nail those cyber puns, but I tried. Ha, 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 ha.